The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. It's really important for us to remember that ChatGPT does not actually understand the prompts it receives, but it is actually responding by predicting the next word based on a statistical probability. It's calculating from the patterns in the data that it was trained on. So the answer can be very wrong, but sound very plausible. The end result really needs to be verified by someone with sufficient know-how before they can use it to create real value. Hello, this is Becky Anderson and welcome to The Hearing. I'm returning with another episode on AI and ChatGPT. In this episode, we're going to look at the positive sides of AI and the huge leaps forward in what this could mean for humanity. In particular, of course, what it means for lawyers. The Hearing. My name is Adeshni Naidu, and I am the Head of Engineering for Thomson Reuters Legal Tech Division. Uh, and what's, what is a Head of Engineering, or what do people like me do? We spend our days working very closely with our partners in the product part of the organization, the design part of the organization, and we work together to create new solutions that can serve the legal industry. So we will build solutions that are workflow tools for our customers that enable them to get through their tasks a lot more quickly, a lot more efficiently. Uh, What we dream about doing is giving them time back for the things that matter, for their families, for their health, for their uh, community projects. Uh, and, And we keep innovating to find ways to make these tools a lot more intuitive, a lot more easy, take away more of the mundane, give them more time back to really unlock their ingenuity. For our listeners, it's probably been a couple of episodes since they listened to our last conversation about ChatGPT. Um, So could you just remind them what ChatGPT is and how it relates to AI? ChatGPT is a generative AI-based application that can create human-like text responses based on the prompt that it is given. To be just a little more specific, generative AI is a segment of AI built on foundational models, and in the case of ChatGPT, specifically on LLMs, that's large language models. LLMs are trained on really inconceivably large amounts of data, inconceivably large amounts of varied textual data that's sourced from all over the internet, books, blogs, news, wiki pages, etc. ChatGPT is said to have been trained on 10 to 25% of all recorded words. So that's enormous. And it is this vast size and variety of textual data that enables ChatGPT to respond so plausibly to just about any prompt, kind of an unlimited number of language use cases. Now, I've given you an answer that's a very technical explanation Mm -hmm. of what ChatGPT is, but perhaps let me answer a little bit more broadly. When ChatGPT launched on November 30th last year, it did something truly unprecedented. It fundamentally changed AI, accessibility, and applicability. And until that point in history, AI was largely considered to be a complex, powerful technology that only a small group of people could build or use, really unapproachable in a lot of ways. Mm. ChatGPT turned that paradigm on its head. And today, anyone capable of having a conversation can engage with an AI and get meaningful outcomes. And usage skyrocketed. And by December 4th, just five days later, 
there were a million users. And by January 2023, over 100 million users, making it the fastest growing consumer application in history. But just to put that into context for you, let me also mention that the closest competition is Instagram that took two and a half months to get to a million users back in 2010. Wow. But perhaps for me, even more interesting and intriguing is the vast variety of ingenious use cases that have emerged, like composing original music, uh, writing a children's bedtime story, or writing a marriage proposal, or providing 360-degree feedback for your boss. And by the way, these are personal examples I've encountered in my life, and I'm quite sure you're your listeners have just as astonishing a variety of cases that they've heard about. But what this tells me is that the usage of this application is really only limited by our imagination. Well, I can tell you're very excited about ChatGPT and with good reason. How does your role, your job relate to that? Hmm. That's a great question. But before I answer, (laughs) let me tell you yet another important and intriguing fact about foundational models and LLMs. To start off with, foundational models are not new, and LLMs, large language models, are also not new. So it kind of begs the question, what changed? Mm. How did the whole world upend in the last six to seven months? I'm going to try to explain that in a very simplified nutshell. LLMs demonstrated emergent capabilities once the models reached a certain size. Uh, That's a bit of a mouthful, so let me go just a little bit deeper. It means that the models became unbelievably good at things we never predicted that they would be good at when the models grew to a certain size. And think of size of the model as the overall number of parameters within the model and the amount of data that has gone into training it. Now, for a very long time, models got bigger and bigger but they got no better at doing any of the tasks that they were built to do. Suddenly, these model sizes hit an inflection point that, honestly, no one really understands, and they emerged. They emerged with the ability to solve uh, an incredibly wide variety of tasks extremely well. And it is at this inflection point that they became exponentially better. Mm. And for me, why is that so exciting? In my role as head of engineering for Thomson Reuters legal tech division, we've been using AI to build solutions for legal professionals for quite some time now. And we've delivered a lot of benefits from the use of AI. But those benefits have been largely incremental. Now we're on the cusp of being able to deliver exponential benefits. And that's because the the limitations of traditional machine learning and AI like, it needs to learn from data sets that are very well curated and then apply to specific tasks that are very well defined. And traditional mm. le- machine learning models were not good at doing things like learning from only a few pieces of data or adjusting on the fly to a situation that it's never seen before. But now, because of the depth and the breadth of LLMs and that emergent behavior that I just explained, Models are really good at many, many things that we previously would have thought of as that's out of scope. We can't do that. And that means that we can now build exponentially better solutions for our customers. It means we're going to build flying cars, not faster horses, if you get my analogy. And that's exciting. 
So can you give me some examples of things that AI couldn't do previously that now, because of this emergence, they can do for us? What was out of scope that now is not out of scope? Well, I mentioned the example of saying that traditional machine learning and AI, you know, we need lots of data uh, in order for the AI to respond accurately and appropriately. Now, take an example where we've got a really large real estate transaction. And what we need to do is we need to spend hundreds of hours poring over hundreds of lease agreements in order to pick out every single exception in those lease agreements that don't fit the insurance profile for the big M&A real estate deal that's going on. And then summarizing those risky clauses and proposing the mitigating clause for each one based on a predefined playbook. Now, even though we're talking about hundreds of documents and a predefined playbook, that's still a very small amount of data. And if you feed that into the AI, the AI is not coming back with reliable responses. So those are the kinds of tasks that were actually quite difficult to use technology to automate. But now, with the ALM, LLMs, with this emergent behavior, we can actually rely on the solution to do it. And instead of associates spending hundreds of hours doing this kind of mundane task, it's important, valuable work, but it is a mundane task. It can be done in minutes. And it frees up those associates to go do the kind of work where they can really apply their minds to work that's interesting and engaging and the kind of activity that actually attracted them to go to law school in the first place. Amazing. So that's got me thinking now, what are some of the other opportunities for chat GPT or AI, if you want to talk more broadly, for humanity generally? What, what exciting applications, apart from um, the transaction you've just mentioned, are you seeing happening now? So when I think about generalizing the opportunities, I do find it a little tricky because my mind and my imagination goes into like hundreds of different directions. But I can tell you where I think the technology is most suitable. There is a pattern. ChatGPT works really well for tasks that require lots of detailed knowledge to do from scratch, but is relatively easy to verify accuracy or quality of the result, like content creation, for example. It's, it's blogs and uh, social media posts. It's also things like research uh, and coding activities. You know, software engineers are just loving this. Writing code, debugging code, refactoring it. You know, once you've got the pattern for what it needs to do, it can repeat, rather uh, rinse, repeat, you know, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. But I must emphasize that this value creation works best when the person using the result can verify the quality of the result. Because it's really important for us to remember that ChatGPT does not actually understand the prompts it receives but it is actually responding by predicting the next word based on a statistical probability. It's calculating from the patterns in the data that it was trained on. So the answer can be very wrong, but sound very plausible. So the end result really needs to be verified by someone with sufficient know-how uh, before they can use it to create real value. But I gotta, I gotta admit, as a technologist, I'm fascinated by all of it. Like I mentioned, from the very creative applications like asking ChatGPT to write you a story in the form of Dr. Zeus or uh, prompting it to say, give me an answer to this communication, but you but respond in Yoda's communication style, <laughs> you know, all, all the way to the very complex tasks like the one I was describing, you know, contract offering, contract analysis on a 
complex multi-jurisdictional M&A transaction. But let me share with you an example that is probably a little less widely known. I watched a demo from Sanctuary AI of Phoenix, their humanoid general purpose robot that's powered by Sanctuary's pioneering AI control system. Now, Phoenix has got a tremendous amount of dexterity, can do so many things. And it takes in natural language instructions and converts those instructions into a series of atomic actions that it's been programmed to do. But now, using LLMs that can translate any natural language instruction, decompose it into those atomic actions that Phoenix knows how to do, suddenly the robot can perform such a significantly more versatile list of instructions. It's back to that idea of unlimited language use cases, and they don't have to be individually programmed. It is these kinds of use cases that stretch well beyond us thinking about a common language use case and starts to open up a massive realm of possibilities. What do you think the possibilities are specifically for the legal profession? You've talked a little bit about doing, I suppose, data room type work. But where do you see this going for the legal profession? Great question. At Thomson Reuters, we're working on a number of really exciting use cases. We have a lot of powerful applications that offer our customers incredibly rich functionality. But discoverability and complexity of these capabilities, they act as an adoption barrier, causing our customers some frustration at not being able to derive greater value from these applications. They know it's there, but not so easy to unlock. So in addition to focusing on what I would say is the two major legal industry pillars of research and drafting, which which for us at Thomson Reuters is backed by our curated content and our subject matter experts who can verify the results. We're also working on ways to enable users to instruct the software to do complex tasks using a conversational model. This way, users don't need to learn and remember how to use the complex functionality to reap benefits or remember where it is in this very rich application, like building a complicated workflow task that can automate away a whole lot of mundane work or automatically execute a very long-winded process for new client take-on or new matter take-on. A conversation with, with our AI assistant will enable them to get that task done quite quickly, quite easily. And our partnership with Microsoft, which was announced at the Build Conference earlier this year, is also enabling us to take these interactions right right into the kind of natural starting point of these engagements. So for example, if a user is in Outlook and they're exchanging emails with a customer and the customer is engaging with them via email to enter into a new matter, engage the law firm in a new matter, just from the content that is in this email exchange, we're able to create a, a Microsoft Copilot plugin. So it's a Microsoft and a TR plugin experience that's embedded right inside of Outlook. It starts picking up the content from the email exchange and can automate that matter intake process. And the data sources of the content of that email, the content from this law firm, the TR content that we can bring, the TR system functionality that we can bring, and certainly a task that is time-consuming, but mundane, but absolutely necessary for the job, starts to disappear into the background. 
I can imagine all sorts of worries cropping up in the minds of lawyers before they come to use this technology. Um, I don't understand how it works. I don't understand the data set it was trained on. If I rely on it and it gets it wrong, am I going to be liable under my professional indemnity insurance policy or will I not be, uh, will my policy not even pick it up? Um, all of these sorts of concerns. Um, what do you think are the best ways of helping people by meeting those concerns and, and helping them through that process, that teething process of getting them used to using AI in their professional lives? Two things there, Becky. One is, you know, specifically from Thompson Reuters, we are going to tell you what we're using to control the results sets of the data. And to begin with, we're going to start by saying, before we ask an LLM a question, we're going to first pass that question through what is known as a RAG interface. Um, and what that means is two things. One is we first take the question, we convert it into a search, we search Thompson Reuters content, you know, which is heavily curated content, content created by our subject matter experts. We add those curated search results to the prompt that we get from the user, and we feed those two pieces together to the LLM, and we instruct the LLM, answer this question, but only use these data sources. Don't make stuff up. <laughs> and that's our way of training the LLMs and the models to give us the high-quality results we want. And we're not just going to put this in front of our users once we've done the technical implementation. Our subject matter experts are going to test it and test it and test it. But we also want to introduce these solutions with the ability for our, our users to give us feedback. So when they get a prompt, they have an opportunity to say, oh, this meets my need. You know, I copy it, I paste it, I use it immediately. Or I want to give some feedback. It partially met my needs. And here's where it missed. Or this was, in a, this was an inappropriate response. It didn't work at all. All that feedback goes to our subject matter experts and they will use it to tune the model. Fantastic. I can absolutely see how, particularly where Thomson Reuters is sitting on the content that you've got, being able to go to somebody and say, the only content it is being trained on is all of the stuff that is sitting in your practical law subscription, which you're paying for because you know you trust it and you know it's written by experts and we can we can show you the senior editors in the corporate team who wrote it if you want to see them. Um, I, 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 find, I find that far more reassuring than um, something like ChatGPT. My, uh, my own concern about ChatGPT is what was it trained on? Um, and particularly when you're saying it's sort of 10 to 25% of the English language that is out there in the world is its data set. And my mind is thinking, gosh, well, there could be quite a lot of, there could be quite a lot of trash in 10% of, and it's quite a lot of trash in 10% of what I say, let alone what <laughs> 10% of the collective world says on the internet. But being able to say, actually, um, I'm going to give you complete confidence because I'm going to be really transparent about the data set. And it was built by experts. That feels really kind of, that feels more exciting to me in some ways than the chat GPT model. But that's probably because I'm a little bit a little bit afraid of what sits on the internet that I don't know about. And I think that those fears are very founded. Uh, I actually didn't mention the second part, and I meant to. And the second part is that we're going to start expanding these capabilities. And, you know, where our customers um, would like this option is we will also enable the, the, the search to go across their own data sets. So if they've got their own set of precedent and they want to use their own playbooks, we can search that content too. And like I said, when the search result comes back, it gets added to the prompt. 
and so it augments the prompt and says, answer this question, but use these sources. So it will be their own trusted content and TR's trusted content. So again, back to that, you know, I know where the answers came from. That sounds even more exciting, actually, because then, of course, if you're training it on the tweaks and changes you've made to accommodate your own specific client base, then you're going to be getting something which is not only backed up by the curated content from a provider like Practical Law, but it's also going to become, I, I presume, I'm not an expert, but I presume it will become increasingly more tailored to the sector and to the specific needs and requirements of the clients that you're serving. Because if you're putting their playbooks in, anonymized, assumedly, but if you're putting their playbooks in, then you're going to start getting answers out which are perfectly tailored to the business risks of a specific client um, or the business risks of a specific sector in a way which I suppose the, that that is actually what partners do, isn't it? Is they sit above all of this. They assimilate all of this knowledge in their brains. It composts down in their brains and they start to get a feel for what the market looks like, what the sector specific needs are. But you're sort of democratizing that almost by putting it into an AI type model so that trainees would have access to it junior associates and senior associates would have access to it without needing to sit with that bird's eye view of absorbing all of this all the time in in their limited human brains becky that's a great example it, that you just mentioned there it's like a partner sitting with an intern mm. when we search through curated content you know content that comes from the law firms content that comes from tr it's like the partner working with the intern and the intern happens to be the llm super bright, you know, lots of enthusiasm, lots of raw knowledge, but then taking that and translating it into a very useful, high quality result. So I'm going to move on to my final question now, because you've excited me greatly um, in a way that I previously, I was curious and I was interested, but I was quite nervous. And I do still remain nervous of, of uh, AIs where I, I don't know the data set. Um, but you've excited me greatly now. And I just want to ask you, as somebody who works in this field and obviously loves it and obviously kind of breathes it and you know, reads articles day in and day out, what do you think the greatest potential for this technology is? Where could it take humanity and how fast could it take us there? Yeah, this is my favourite part. <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity that really speaks to my heart is the potential to turn the tide of the global challenge of access to justice in this lifetime, in this generation. Around the world, people face a variety of justice problems related to employment, housing, education, health, among other things. In addition to having a legal dimension, these justice issues go to the heart of people's social, economic, and physical well-being. And it is for this reason that the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, maintains that the inability to resolve legal problems diminishes access to economic opportunity, it reinforces the poverty trap, and it undermines human potential and inclusive growth. And marginalized groups all report a greater number of legal problems. It's, it's youth, it's... Uh, ethnic minorities, it's women, it's the elderly. In light of these discoveries, access to justice should be viewed as the main driver of inclusive development and growth. The United Nations also emphasizes that justice matters for global development agendas. 
It is to this end that UN Sustainable Development Goal 16 commits all member states to promote the rule of law at the national and international levels and ensure equal access to justice for all. We at TR, along with many nations and organizations, are members of the the United Nations Global Compact, which makes us accountable to the sustainable principles. However, despite this widespread proclamation of support, the World Justice Project estimates that over 1.4 billion people have an unmet justice need for everyday problems and also for grievous social injustices. I dream that Mm -hmm. this technology can become a widespread power tool that holds the key to eradicating this global social challenge and becomes a catalyst for unprecedented global inclusion and growth. But at Thomson Reuters, I can do more than dream. I can help build this new world by providing legal professionals with the kind of power tools that massively amplify their reach and their impact. That's incredible. Thank you so much um, for coming in and talking to me about all of that and and helping me to kind of see really keenly how this applies to the legal context. The Hearing. I've loved doing these episodes on AI because of the intense tension that exists. On the one hand, exponential advances for humanity are within our grasp. But on the other hand, there are existential risks. Edeshni showed me not only the benefits of AI, but importantly, what things need to be in place to make this technology trustworthy, and trustworthy for lawyers. That means careful curation of accurate expert material for training these large language models. I've been Becky Allison. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my wonderful guest. If you enjoyed the show, then please do like and subscribe or send us an email at thehearing at thompsonreuters.com. We would love to hear from you. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.